Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Welcome to uh, Matthew chapter 28. And uh, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to share um, Matthew's account of the resurrection or part of the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Matthew 28 and verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and indeed, and go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. And indeed he's going before you into Galilee There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and rang to bring his disciples, to bring his disciples' word. This is such a powerful story, and we know it only too well, don't we? The story of Jesus Christ. And we celebrated or we remembered on Friday his death, but today we celebrate his resurrection that he's no longer in the grave. Yeah, we can celebrate that at church on a Sunday. If there's ever a reason to give God praise, it's simply because he's not in the grave anymore. He came out of the grave. He defeated death, hell and the grave and it could not hold him down. And that's what we're celebrating today. I wanna just jump into this story just real quickly because really this, I wanna look at this story and the, some different aspects within this story because as we just read, we're looking at this account of Matthew where these two women, two Marys approach the tomb. But it's important for us to understand and and I'm one of those people that when I read the Bible, I do like to get in the story. I like to, to really get in the heart and in the mind of the people and the characters within the story to try and grasp what they would have been feeling and really what would have been going on. Sometimes we look at it just like words on a page, but we forget of the reality of really what was going on in this moment. That these women had followed Jesus and they had followed His teaching and watched Him do miracles. And as we remembered on Friday that seemingly everything fell apart on Friday not just for these women, but also for those others that were close to Him, for the disciples. We find Peter, Peter's jump ship, he's gone, he's gone fishing, he's just gone back to what he's used to. The two Marys have approached the tomb, but they're, they're not approaching the tomb with this expectation that Jesus is gonna be risen. They've approached the tomb, they've accepted defeat. Because they didn't come, the Bible says, they didn't come to see Jesus. They came to see the tomb. They came to pay their respects. 
And there is, if you look through the Gospels, there are all of these different accounts of this story. This story that these people had been, they had been so invested in the life of Jesus. They had put time and they had gone with Him and they had journeyed relationships through with Him and times and and memories and this story that they had across these years of Jesus' life had built so much anticipation that something great was gonna happen. It all seemingly fell apart on Good Friday. And here we read them sort of picking up the broken pieces, if you like, like of the story and trying to work out what happens next. And what I wanna just just share this morning for us on Easter Sunday is I just wanna share a couple of thoughts surrounding one thought. And I wanna talk about a new narrative, a new narrative, because this is really what Jesus did in a story that seemingly had fallen apart for those that were close to Him, that while they thought the plan had fallen apart, things had taken a turn. They expected things to go one way, but they didn't go one way, they took a turn and it seemed like they took a turn for the worst. And now they're trying to pull together the pieces and try and manage what do we do now because all hope is lost seemingly. It's interesting how the different characters respond to the disappointment. See, that's how, as people, we we respond differently, don't we? When we expected something to happen and it didn't go the way we thought it was gonna go and and some of us go back to what we're used to and some of us are just trying to pull together the pieces and, and we're in this state of confusion and this state of frustration perhaps and this state of disappointment because seemingly the story, the story was over. It was, it was, this was the end of the, of, of the, this was the last page of what they thought was the final chapter. But God was writing a new narrative. That Jesus, while He was in the grave and they thought it was finished, He was rewriting a different script that they were not aware of until Easter Sunday when they came expecting to find a tomb with a dead body inside of it. And that tomb was empty. They came, they were confronted with a new script for their story that Jesus had been busy across the last few days writing a new narrative over their life. That this is the message of Easter. And I wanted to give you just real quickly Just three points that I want you, if you're taking notes, that I want you to write down. What the empty grave gives me, because I started to think, what does this mean? Sometimes these stories, they're so, we're so familiar with them and they're so grand and they're so amazing and they're so powerful, but, but, but what does the grave, what does the empty grave mean to me? What does the grave give me? As a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. What does, does this story even relate to you? If you're not a Christian, maybe you're asking that question, Ben, I'm not, I'm in that category that you talked about earlier. I'm not really a believer. It's not that I hate God. I'm just not a believer. What does this grave mean 
to you because I want you to know that even if you do not believe in Him, He still believes in you. And that there is still a story that He has because Jeremiah tells us that before we were formed, that before we were formed, He knew us, that He was already writing a story for your life. Before you even came to be in this world, He had a story, He had a plan, He had a purpose for your life. So what does, what does this mean for, for you? And the first thing I want us to write down if we're taking notes is I want you to write down that the grave gives me firstly, it gives me hope for my future. Mary approached the grave and she, had, she was disillusioned. She didn't know she didn't know what to do. All she knew was that next moment that she was just gonna go and just pay her respects. She had lost, they had lost hope that they approached the grave one way, but they left very different because as we just read in the story, what, what that empty tomb birthed inside of them in this moment, it actually says that they left the empty tomb with great joy and it also says with fear. But that word fear in the Bible, it means, a way to describe it would mean an expectation, an awe, that something great, understand they, they had not seen Jesus yet. There was, still, there was still uncertainty about the details, but they had had enough of an encounter with this empty tomb. They had had enough, uh, they had experienced enough of this work that Jesus had done, that He had birthed a hope inside of them that maybe the story is not gonna end the way we thought it was gonna end. Maybe God is still writing a new narrative. Maybe there's something else for us. Maybe it's not gonna finish like this. Maybe I'm not gonna end like this. Maybe this situation's not gonna die here. Maybe, maybe He's writing something else into my life. We have, Caressa and I, we have two children. I have Luca, Luca James, who is two. And I have Leo, Leo Jacqueline, we have who is 11 months, 11 months. I got that right. That's a miracle on Easter Sunday. <laughs> but Luca, um, he's, he's at that age where he doesn't, he, you know, words, he's not great with his words just yet. Um, but I've worked out, if you've ever tried to convince a two-year-old to do something that they don't actually wanna do, you need God's hand on your life to do that. And what I've worked out, a way in which getting Luca to experience something that I know he's gonna experience, I've worked out that I cannot give him all the details, I've just gotta come to him with a tone of excitement. So what I'll do is Luca will be playing and, and, and I'll go up to Luca. I'll do it like this. I'll go up to Luca and I'll say, Luca. And right there in that moment, he will stop. And his little face, he will look at me and his eyes will go like this. And I'll say to him, guess what? And he'll go, and he'll slowly come up and grab my hand. And I'll say, guess what? We're gonna go to the park. And he'll go, oh, wow. <laughs> and he'll just slowly come with me, like with this expectation. Do you know what I don't do? I don't go up to Luca and say, Luca, this is what we're gonna do. 
We're gonna go out to the car and I'm gonna get the keys to the car and I'm gonna put the keys in the ignition and I'm gonna start the car and the spark, spark plugs are gonna ignite the engine and the engine's gonna start. And then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put you around. First, I'm gonna put the AC on to make sure the car is cool enough for you. Then I'm gonna put you in the car. Then we're gonna begin the journey down to the park. The journey is about two and a half miles down to the park. But Luca, it's okay, I've estimated it probably take us just under three minutes to get to the park. And then once we get to the park, I'm gonna turn the engine off. Once I turn the engine off, I'm gonna walk around, I'm gonna unbuckle you and I'm gonna get you out. And then I'm gonna take you and walk you over to the park and we're gonna play on the park. But Luca, it's a different park to what you've experienced before because this park is a new one. It's got better things than you've experienced before. It, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Why? See, we, we have this saying, the beauty's in the details. But, but I've found when it comes to the things of God, sometimes the details that we want from Him are detrimental to our purpose because the reality is that even if God gave us all the details, we would not be able to understand what He is doing anyway. And what we need to have is a heart of expectation that says, whatever you're gonna do in my life, I trust you. And I can hear the tone of what you're declaring over my life, that there is hope ahead of me. And I don't need to understand what happens between point A and point B. I trust you. I know you are good. I know you're going before me and I'm, I'm hopeful at what you have ahead of my future. It's the grave, what it does is the empty tomb, it gives us hope. I wish we would have that same spirit that we would wake up and say, wow, God, what have you got for me today? Too many of us, we get lost in the details. Well, but what about this? And what about that? And what about that? Quit asking God, what about this? And what about that? What about that? Because even if He told you, you would not be able to comprehend it anyway because the Word says that what He has for us is far beyond what we could ask, think or imagine, exceedingly above. So what we have to do is we have to receive it by faith and say, God, I embrace that You have something great for me. I don't know the details and I don't need to know, but I've got faith enough to move out from where I am and step into where you've called me to. If you receive that over your life, why don't you give God praise for the hope that is ahead of you for your life today on Easter Sunday. It is hope. It's hope for my future. It's hope for my future. You know what it else gives me? It gives me victory in my present. It gives me victory in my present. We have to understand, as we talked about as a church on Friday, the beating, the whippings, the humiliation. You need to understand, church, that hell, through the best they had at Jesus Christ, but your God took the hit. The Bible says, Paul says that he went down to hell. It says down to the deepest parts of hell. That's what he was doing on Saturday. That what Jesus was doing on Friday, he was, he was enduring the beatings, but on Sunday, he was overcoming them. That's what the empty grave means for us. What it does for us is it actually gives us victory in our present. Hebrews 2 and verse 14, it says, He Himself likewise shared in the same, that through death He might destroy Him 
who had the power of death that is the devil, who had past tense. He doesn't have the power anymore. So you can have victory in your present right now. The victory is not some little hope dream that you think maybe will come your way later on. You have victory right ahead of you that we need to receive the victory that was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ that we don't have to earn it. We receive it that there is victory for us right now. I was reminded of this story that I heard that I thought is, is such a cool story. It says it was in mid-October afternoon in 1982 at Badger Stadium in Wisconsin, 60,000 plus diehard fans gathered to watch their team, the University of Wisconsin, take on the Michigan State Spartans. Even though they had the home field advantage, it became obvious quickly in the ball, ball game that Michigan State had the better team. What became odd is as the score became more and more lopsided, the Wisconsin and Wisconsin fell further and further behind quarter by quarter. The more they were losing, the louder the fans were getting. The burst of applause and shout from the Wisconsin fans grew louder and louder the more they were watching their team lose. The coaches and players were stunned to hear their fans scream and cheer while they were watching their team lose and lose badly. It turned out that 70 miles away, the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals in game four of the 1982 World Series. And many of the fans in the stands were listening to their portable radios and they were responding to what they heard, not what they saw. Could it be that what God has called us to do in order to overcome the difficulties and the challenges that are in front of us is we need to change the dial on our thinking and change the dial on what we're hearing and tune in to hear what heaven is declaring over your life from the stadium of heaven despite difficulties and despite challenges that are in front of you, that you can have victory right now in your present, that you can overcome it. Why? By the blood of Jesus Christ and the empty grave. That whatever it is that you're dealing with does not have to dictate the next line in your story. And I'm not, I'm not minimalizing legitimate hurt and legitimate pain and legitimate struggles that people in this room have gone through and are still going through. But I am here to declare over your life that whatever it is that you are dealing with, Jesus Christ has already dealt with it for you, that He has already beaten it for you, that He has already overcome it for you. And it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that you can have victory where you are right now and walk into the hope and the calling and the purpose that your God has ahead of you. This is what the grave gives us. And lastly, First, it was hope for my future. Second is victory in my present. 
And thirdly is freedom. It's freedom from my past. That's what it means that He paid the price that whatever it is that is in your past, that your past does not have to dictate your future. That what you've encountered and what you've experienced, that if you would make a decision to surrender your story and to receive a new narrative for your life, that your God is not done yet. That you may feel because of what you're gone through, that there are people in here that you are settling for second best because you are filtering your future through your past. But the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, it gives you freedom from your past so you can close the door to your past through the forgiveness, through the blood of Jesus Christ and you can step into the freedom that God has for you in your future. It's it's a new narrative. The story, the story didn't end where they thought it was gonna end. I was reminded of the woman in John chapter eight, the Bible tells us the story of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. See, this, this chick, she messed up. She screwed up bad. And there's no way to try and pretty it up and make it, I mean, she messed up and she messed up bad, especially in ancient times, ancient biblical times, this was huge. And the religious leaders grabbed this woman. Essentially, they grabbed her past and they dragged her past. And they brought, the Bible says they brought her and they put her in front of a crowd. It's as if to say they were trying to get her past and put her past on display. This is what religion will do. Religion will tell you, you gotta pay the price for your past, for what you did, for what you said. You gotta pay the price for it. Religion will drag your past and put your past in front of you. Will bring shame, will bring guilt and will bring condemnation. But watch Jesus. Jesus walks into this this story. You've got these religious leaders and they brought this poor woman who's messed up. And Jesus walks into the story just when they thought the story was gonna end in shame. Just when they thought this story, this woman, she thought the story was gonna end. She felt so much shame and so much condemnation. It was all over her. And she accepted that this was where her story was gonna end. But then watch Jesus, He comes in and He bends down. And I don't know what He wrote. We don't know what He wrote on the ground that day. But I like to think that He was writing a new narrative for her life. 
I like to think that he was declaring something in the dirt that day over her life in a sense to say, you know what? Yeah, you've messed up, but watch me write a new story for your life. Watch me with one motion. Watch me deal with and scatter every religious spirit that will try and bring guilt and condemnation. Watch your God, watch your Saviour come and write some things over your life and declare a new narrative over your life that does not speak of guilt and condemnation, but speaks of freedom and speaks of breakthrough and speaks of favour and speaks of deliverance over your life. Watch me. And he writes some words in the dirt. And as I said, we don't know what those words were. But in one moment, a new narrative was declared over this woman's life. That's what He has for you. That's what the cross is. That's what the empty tomb is. It's a new story. It's a a new narrative that it does not have to end here. That it does not have to end with the broken pieces of a story that you thought you had so much expectation that it was gonna work out a certain way, but it took a turn and now you're left with the broken pieces of your situation, the broken pieces of your story, the broken pieces of your past. And you need this Jesus to come and put the pieces back together and rewrite your story. It's a new narrative. And I don't know where you're at in your walk with God this morning. On one of probably the most religious days of the year. But my heart for you this morning is that if you have not surrendered your story to Him, that you would do that this morning. That you would say, Lord, I surrender my story to You because the Word tells us that He is the author and He is the finisher. That Word means the perfecter. That He makes all things new. That some of you are even thinking in your heart right now as I'm speaking, that's great Ben, but you don't understand what I've experienced. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. What I love about this story that we started to read in the book of Matthew is I love that these women came to Jesus and and, you know, we've, we've been harsh as preachers over these women before. And and we've sort of accused them, if you like, for not having a greater expectation. We've accused them for, for, for not coming with an expectation that God was gonna be true to what He had said He would do and that, that they didn't expect Him to be raised from the dead. And we've been quite harsh on them before. But what I actually like about this story is I like the fact that they came to Him and they were not in the greatest frame of mind. 
that they weren't, if you like, they weren't these super excited singing hymns, churchy girls that were coming, declaring that God's gonna be raised from the dead. No, 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 that, they, were, they were disillusioned. They didn't, listen to me, they didn't have faith. But what I love about that story and this story that we're looking at and this account in Matthew is I can relate, I can relate to these women because I don't always come to Him. I know we should, I know I should have that heart of my son that says, God, what have you got for me? But the reality is, and I know this is weird for a preacher to say on Easter Sunday, but I don't always come to Him like that. Sometimes I come to Him in a messed up, disillusioned state. Sometimes I come to Him and I'm sort of, I'm sort of mad because things went in a direction that I didn't think they were gonna go. And now it's all good and well to say God's in control, but I don't see that in my life. And when I come to Him like that, I can, it requires me to be vulnerable with Him because we have to dispel this lie that we have to get our life right before we come to God. Because if I could get my life right before I came to God, I wouldn't need to come to God in the first place. You don't get right before you come to Him. You come to Him and He gets you right. I wonder if you would bring your pain, bring your hurt, bring your discouragement to your Saviour and receive the new narrative that He has for your life. And right across this room with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one moving around in this room. There are people in this room, you barely made it here this morning. You were tossing and turning all night. You didn't wanna even come because you were so scared of getting around what we call Christian people and so scared of getting around church people because maybe they'll see the real you. I wanna encourage you this morning that we are all messed up. We're all screw ups. We're all making mistakes. We all need Jesus. We all need His grace. We all need a Saviour. We all need to walk in the freedom that comes through the empty tomb. You are not alone this morning. But you're here in this room and you need to surrender your story. Maybe you once did, maybe you once surrendered it, but He took you on a journey that you didn't expect and now you're left trying to work out the details and you're missing the big picture that He has for you. Maybe you once surrendered your story, but it's like you picked up the pen again and you started to write your own script. And I wanna encourage you and I wanna challenge you this morning. Would you have the faith to re-surrender your story to Him again, the author and the perfecter and the finisher of your faith and trust Him and trust that He has something great ahead of you that you cannot articulate for your own life, that you have to release it to Him and receive it by faith. It's a new narrative. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.